Hey, thanks Black Eyed Peas for taking a phrase that we Jews like to use for sacred events like weddings of our mitzvahs and rhyming it with the desire to see a dancing skank get naked. Remind me to scream out Christ is King next time I'm being propositioned by a tranny hooker. So I uh, was kind of listening back to our last episode and uh, it kind of struck me something I didn't notice about that uh, Easy e uh, Merry Motherfucking Christmas song. I didn't notice this the first time, but there's a line in there where, you know, it's, it's like it's easy and he's being all badass. And he says, uh, I don't give a fuck. I'm getting Christmas cock. <laughs> Like, actually, I actually had to turn back and, and repeat that a couple of times. He says, I'm getting Christmas cock. <laughs> he likes what he likes. I mean, no, I mean, he's, this getting, is a, he's getting a rooster. I mean, this is all this is an all inclusive show. Don't don't get me wrong, but uh, it, I don't think that's what he meant to say. Yeah. Coming from in gangster culture back then. Yeah. I don't think that's a thing you want to uh, say on a record. Like that would have been very progressive <laughs> to make that admission. <laughs> just just something I had to throw out there. No, he's he only likes it on Christmas. It's when he's in a only festive a, well, mood. Oh, it doesn't count. It does yeah. it do, it's not gay if it's on Christmas. Hey, it's Christmas. <laughs> Welcome to Polishing Turds with Nick and Cal. My name is Nick and I'm Cal. And is this the show where we take a deep dive into the wonderful world of bad music? Yes, it is. Good guess, my friend. All right, dude. Black Eyed Peas Part 2. How are we doing? Oh, we, we've entered the depths of darkness. <laughs> There's no turning back now. We, we got to enjoy two good albums. And um, I actually, I think the crowd enjoys the worst tunes more. So you yeah. guys are in for a treat. We no. had to go through some pain. We yeah we definitely uh, suffered on this one and will continue to suffer as as we go forward. But like this is uh, I feel like it it's part two, but it's really part one because this is when the the world actually notices what Black Eyed Peas are doing, and it's because of the deliberate choices they yeah. made, you know, like a toddler to get attention in the worst possible way. I totally agree. Uh, episode one was more like the prequel or like the setup, mm-hmm. and this is this is the shit you know. This is the Spider Man's origin story movie. <laughs> yeah, but in terms of what we saw in the last episode, um, the first two albums, is there anything you feel like the Black Eyed Peas have done up until this point where we're at that you consider them a sellout yet? No, no, not at all, really. I mean, like, as you mentioned, they had sold the music to a film. Yeah. But, like, so what? Rage Against the Machine has done that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't... I, that doesn't really cross my line. No. Um, It's when they... It's when you start deliberately, clearly making every single song on your album to potentially be in a film <laughs> that it's like, okay, uh, I think you guys are officially in this for the money. I, I, I would agree with you, Cal. Also, I feel like I would be remiss if I uh, didn't talk about my progress on uh, the pencil trick. <laughs> now, uh, now I have to uh, admit it. This this might sound like a little bit of a cop out, but uh, I was practicing 
uh, every day for like four or five days straight. And then I got COVID between our la- the the last episode and this one, and that kind of derailed my progress for a little bit. Will I, just, will I am would have pushed through that shit. He would have. I know. I'm. That's and that's why I don't have a you know like eighty million records under my belt is because <laughs> I don't have that same level of dedication. But no, I, I my my ass got kicked, and I was. I missed work for the first time in like a 10 years. Well, we so, are all, all us in the turds universe are happy you're alive. At least, at least 80% of our audience, I think is, is happy I'm still alive. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I'm 80% alive. <laughs> I might have permanent organ damage, but I'm no, here. I, I'm, I'm actually, I'm feeling all right. Like it wasn't, uh, like I did have my booster. It wasn't that terrible for me. Like, you know, after like three or four days, but but nevertheless, I did I did kind of lose track in the pencil thing. But I've done it like for like two or three days again now. I just do it on my ride into, into work. So let's see where I'm at. That is significantly faster than mm. uh, our first try at this. And also now I have the mental image of pulling up next to a man doing what you were just doing. Oh, yeah. Doing. All, all the way, um, you know, from the... This town I live in to the, like the small town where I work. It's like a 15, 20 minute drive. I've, I've been doing that and just trying to lose the self-consciousness <laughs> of, uh, of knowing that I look like a freak, uh, in, you know, driving through you know, rural Wisconsin. I think if I pulled up at an intersection next to you and you were doing that, I think I'd probably just keep rolling through the red light <laughs> and just leave. <laughs> like, it's like, can't okay. see that. I don't want to die today. I'm not going <laughs> to get this guy's attention. No, but uh, I, I, so I will keep doing it, and hopefully it will improve my eloquent speaking abilities, you know, so that we can take this podcast to the next level. Yeah. Now, in our last episode, we covered this band's humble origins as a hardworking, conscious rap group. Despite releasing quality music to critical acclaim, Black Eyed Peas failed to live up to commercial expectations. And so, with only one album left in their three-album deal... It was time for the peas to put up or shut up. Now, to understand the mindset these guys were in, I'd like to take a look at an anecdote that Taboo mentions in his autobiography. Remember De La Soul, the iconic artsy rap group that Black Eyed Peas originally looked up to? Well, sometime in the year 2000s, Black Eyed Peas found themselves on the same bill with their idols. And that bill was the MTV College Campus Invasion Tour, where both of them were opening for Wycliffe Jean. Taboo notes the sad irony that his up-and-coming band was on equal footing with De La Soul, a legendary group who had been around since 1987. Could a similar humiliation befall Black-Eyed Peas? Taboo sums up the band's feeling with this rather blunt statement. Shit, we can't be here in 12 years. See, and that tells me the the mental uh, state of these guys when he says, like, Will I Am wants to be the best. Mm Mm-hmm. The way Will I Am defines the best is have the most fans. Yeah, it, that you know he he's not after being like no looked at as the best rapper of all time. He means it like the biggest rapper of all time. Well, he doesn't. I don't think he has this uh, internal hipster dichotomy where if you are not as popular, it's kind of by definition a good thing because it means the the sheep aren't uh, sure. paying attention to your music, but only the cool kids are. Like, he's, he's thinking more about, like, you know, he grew up with Michael Jackson, who was 
one of the, if not the best artist of that time and was the highest selling, mm-hmm. you know, he's living in a mental universe you can where do both like you, you, there is no uh, distinction between being the best and selling the most records. Sure. And I, I think you, I think you can do it both. I, I guess where I'm getting at is that he's, if he has to choose, he's going with most fans. <laughs> yeah. He's not concerned if uh, someone later is like, I learned to rap based off Will I Am's flow. He was a fucking genius. Yeah. I don't think he's after that. No, he's not trying to be the Velvet Underground. He's not trying to be a, a, a tortured, starving artist. Like he wants to make it to the top. And I just, I keep going back uh, in my mind to how he grew up, you know, living in the housing projects and being bused to this uh, super rich white school uh, in Pacific Palisades. For him, there's like just, there's no middle ground. You know, it's like you, I have to get out of this place that I'm in to get to the place where these guys are. And to do that requires an extraordinary amount of effort against uh, seemingly insurmountable odds. Like there's no just like eking out a comfortable middle-class living because he hasn't seen that. And I, I will be fair too. I, I get where they're coming from on that side because that's happened before. We've we together have gone and seen le- uh, metal bands that are regarded as legendary in the community, mm-hmm. and it's that feeling. It's maybe a hundred people in there, yeah. And you're going, man. I wonder what they think. Like they're on every <laughs> best of list on the internet, <laughs> but they'd probably rather you know not uh, you know struggle to pay the mortgage, <laughs> right? You know they have second jobs, yeah. Like, it's just like one thing you really learn from studying artists like these is it it just it is a struggle to be profitable in the music industry, even if you have critical acclaim, even if you have influenced an entire generation's worth of artists, like somehow it, they're not able to monetize that. It's, and it's very sad. Yep. It was not long after this that Black Eyed Peas reached another milestone on the road to Selloutsville. They were asked to do a commercial for Dr. Pepper. Now, it's only 30 seconds long, so I want to go ahead and watch this thing. Here's to individuals like Dr. Pepper, the original, and Louis and Ella, rhyming and scatting. Two black eyed peas rapping, let's make it happen. It's Dr. Pepper, it's a taste of originality, salute to individuality. Bring out your personality. Did you notice that the background beat of that uh, is is a, it's weekends? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so he took an old one of his old songs and made it a Dr Pepper song. Yeah, I don't think you can get much more sellout than that. Just I'm, saying. I mean, like, yeah, you didn't like. I guess you can. You're allowed to rip yourself off. Yeah. Oh but, yeah. Uh, oh, I'm not saying it's a rip off. I'm saying he <laughs> he took a song that he wrote with an artistic vision in mind <laughs> and said, you know what, Dr Pepper, you guys have it. I think what weirds me out about that commercial is if you actually watch it, you notice that they kind of pay homage to Louis Armstrong. And uh, Ella Fitzgerald, like they're trying to like get class it up and I guess relate it to like the history of uh, African-American music. But I wonder if I really hope that they contacted or got the consent from the estates of those two artists, because if not, that'd be really weird for Dr. Pepper to do. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, it's, it's not terrible. Like, and, and it's not, you know, it's, it's not, it's a soft drink. Uh, it's, it's not like, you know, it's not like the Exxon mobile rap or something. It's not like Exxon mobile. It's not like, you know, 
Quicken loans or, or some kind of scam type thing. <laughs> Coke Industries, y'all. <laughs> yeah. And uh, here's the thing. These guys, and they're still not making a whole lot of money at the time. Like, I don't think anybody aspires to do the MTV Campus Invasion Tour. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know. I could see MTV <laughs> releasing a teen movie where that's their dream. <laughs> Yo, dude, we made Yo, it. Yo, we made it to the Campus Invasion Tour. <laughs> this is the best day of our lives. <laughs> Someday we'll meet Fallout Boy. Here I come to your row. <laughs> But they made a uh, hundred, like after the producers cut and managers cut, they made a hundred thousand dollars each, which at the time was an astronomical sum for for these guys. Dude, that is for me. It would oh, yeah. change our lives. I wouldn't <laughs> sneeze at that. Yeah, I. So I, I really can't say that I would turn that down if I was in their position. And then, uh, you know, reading Taboo's account of it in his book, basically the way he defends it is uh, that. Not only did they need the money, but they also needed the exposure. So, which which was true at the time, I think. <laughs> yeah, and we've talked about how no, no exposure is bad exposure. Yeah, it seems logical that like real rappers would look at it and be like, "That's those corny Dr Pepper guys." Yeah, and they and they and they got some uh, shit for it. Yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, I agree. I think in today's culture, that doesn't matter. <laughs> it's no. more important to be out there. <laughs> oh, for sure. But then the but then in his uh, the paragraphs where he's defending it, uh, he goes on with, anyhow, Dr. Pepper's message, "Be you, do what you want to do," was a perfect fit with our take on life. So it was it was not as if we were selling out on our principles and attaching our name to any old product. Oh God! Now now you're overselling. Yeah, it a little come bit. on, buddy. Like their like, corporate <laughs> slogan is actually what I believe in my yeah. life. <laughs> like did they did they attend a seminar where the like the head of Dr Pepper talked about like Dude, being yourself? That reminds me of a corny manager I had when I was working at McDonald's. That when things were going right, he actually would be like, "I'm loving it. I'm loving it, guys." <laughs> And I'm wondering, like, you're you my... know, just because they told you to do that at your last little training doesn't oh mean you need God. to. I mean, if like he's breaking like 35k a year, I know. <laughs> I'm loving you're loving it. it. You're packing those fries, great. <laughs> oh, that's that's like kind of beautiful, and I love it. I I, I, I am loving that, Cal. <laughs> I don't know if it's for the same reasons, but I am loving your manager doing that. I do remember that being one of the first times in my life I realized corporate culture is shitty and a little off yeah oh my god um i used to work at a roundies which is just a a horrible chain that we have here in the midwest and uh one of those bullshit corporate slogans they did for all of us uh working at this grocery store was uh how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time god damn it which i guess is supposed to be like our like approach to tackling problems determination determination you know like dealing with the unruly customer that's freaking out because we're out of bananas Uh, it's it's just what right like in the the only the thing that really annoys me about that is knowing that the guy who got paid to come up with that (laughs) makes three times what what i would make working full time (laughs) that's that's why that's the dream is to move up far enough that you don't have to do the work anymore (laughs) you just get paid a lot to come up with the shit to uh keep the ones who do it motivated exactly oh and there's also this other thing with respect to black eyed peas um and this also is related to uh kind of shilling out to a soft drink they uh got invited to this tour that was called IYDKYDG. 
which stands for if you don't know, you don't go. And this this is like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But this tour was sponsored by Coca-Cola. And none, there were like a few bands that were involved in this tour. I think it was mostly hip-hop acts. But the bands themselves and their labels were not allowed to promote this tour. This was like Coca-Cola's own thing. And they had this like really weird guerrilla marketing approach where the only way to get a ticket to this show was to to luck out and buy one of the Coca-Cola cans that had the tickets on it or, or bottles maybe. Okay. So like you had to like randomly get a ticket Willy Wonka style in a can of Coke. This is such a, a misunderstanding of who's buying their product. <laughs> it's just, and, and just how the music industry yeah. works, how, why people go to concerts. Can you imagine like, like mathematically the guy who's most likely to be able to go to this show is in a scooter. Cause he can't walk. <laughs> yeah. And like, he's like, like, Oh, I drink 10 Cokes a day. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I know. Like, I mean, it's, it almost works against you that Coke is such a universal product and you know, it could be someone who's 90 years old getting a ticket to see it's black like, eyed peas. What are they carrying? Peas? <laughs> like, it's so bizarre. And so thus the promotion for this tour was really sporadic. Um, I think they, they must've like left it up to like local Coca-Cola regional distributors to like get the word out about this thing. So in some cities they went to, the turnout was pretty good, but uh, in some it was terrible. And actually they say at one show in New Jersey, only 13 people showed up. <laughs> it's like and that, that makes sense to me. That's about yeah. right. Yeah. It's just like, how, how often do you check the can of soda that you just guzzled down to see if you're going to get concert ticket? Well, and, and did they think like, you know, really it was, People were going to really view it as this exclusive event that's super cool. Like, <laughs> no. did they really think, like, Kanye is going to get the winning Coke? Like, <laughs> oh, he was around then. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's going to be some schlub. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, there's a reason that no matter what industry and in, you want to target your audience. <laughs> wow. That's hilarious. But uh, nonetheless, uh, the band were paid $7,500 per week to do this tour. So they weren't really complaining. Honestly, too, I I would play a show for 13 people in this scenario and not take it as an insult. I mean, oh, yeah, that's fun. free money. Yeah. Little small show, you know, no pressure. Apparently what they did was uh, they took the stage and Will I Am just kind of like jokingly played it up. It's like, what up, New Jersey? <laughs> yeah, you know, like, it's a, like it's a packed stadium. <laughs> I want the left side to yell, all seven of you. Now the <laughs> other side, the, the other six. <laughs> I mean, like if I was in a punk band that like had one of those shows where, you know, only two people show up, like you, your job is to get those two people moshing yeah. as hard as possible. Get off the stage and just start punching them <laughs> just, in the ribs. <laughs> no, let's just, go. It's like, if there's four of you, like two, like just drop your instruments, just uh, go and grab each of you, grab one guy and push them into each <laughs> other while feedback drones on. But just th- between those two anecdotes, think about what the black eyed peas are learning from just being a band in the world. It it feels to me like every experience they've had thus far between two failed records and two successful soft drink sponsored deals, <laughs> like what's working, what is being rewarded here? And it seems like, you know, artistic integrity, working really hard to craft all these songs and uh, being this very original underground band, that's not being met with rewards, but 
cozying up to these corporations is. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I have no argument. I think that's exactly what happened. People respond to positive and negative stimuli, and you're absolutely right. But no commercial deal could have saved this group from their fiduciary responsibility to Interscope. And so in 2001, Black Eyed Peas hunkered down in a quiet studio house in Bodega Bay, California, to record their third album. They thought they had a decent thing going, but in the middle of the sessions, everything changed. Not just for Black Eyed Peas, but for everyone. 9-11 was an event that shook the nation to its core. Anyone old enough to remember can attest that it felt like everything was turned on its head. What seemed important yesterday could suddenly feel meaningless today. The Black Eyed Peas were no exception, and in the aftermath of the tragedy, the group openly wondered how they could even carry on. Like, uh, and I'm sure this happened with a lot of bands, but Will I Am considered uh, canceling the tour altogether. They they were about to go on tour, like just like a a week or so after it happened, and he just like didn't know how he could carry on, even making like music like his, which is very positive. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it just felt hard to do anything, you know remotely frivolous in light of the attacks sure and yeah it's one of those things you know nowadays we've experienced enough shitty stuff since then yeah it, it feels a little odd to say that but i think at the time everyone was uh shook in a different way this had not happened in a lot of our lifetimes yeah really like besides columbine this is like the first really bad thing yeah and it was it was such a it's hard to describe to younger people but it really there was this sense that like the world is ending right now and like there's no space for humor or anything other than like just fear and shock and depression. Mm-hmm. But apparently he, what turned his opinion was he called his mama who was very important to him. He was raised by a single mother. It was like, it was like the, like this goddess in his life. And she told him in essence that God wanted him to use his talent to help people. Like, she said some of the, the quote is something along the lines of like, if God didn't want you singing, like you wouldn't, that, that tour wouldn't uh, be scheduled, you know? So much like Billy Ray Cyrus. Yeah. He took it on his mission that God wanted us to hear my humps. <laughs> they hadn't done my humps by then, but it's, yeah, point taken. <laughs> it's like, it's why do we encounter that so much? Why does every one of the artists we cover think that like God is trying to like channel himself through their fucking I think, music? I think actually my theory is that's the only way you can have uh, the type of how do I word it? I wanted to say ego, but that's not quite right. Like outside, out of body, look at yourself to be able to get on stage in front of that many people and say, I'm destined to do this. Mm-hmm. I, I think someone, a cynic like you or I would have a lot of trouble with that <laughs> night after night. Yeah. Because we have uh, the self doubt that comes with self-awareness. <laughs> yeah. Whereas he can just go up there and be like, no, God wants me to sing this tonight to all of you. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it's not like how all priests are pedophiles, but it sure attracts a lot of that crowd. No, and we, we touched upon this in our last episode. You have to have that all or nothing mentality to do the work that it takes to have even a sliver of a chance of succeeding in this industry. But the horror of 9-11 would also prove a source of inspiration for our heroes, and a rather lucrative one at that. Hoping to comment on the anxiety, fear, and hatred that engulfed America in the wake of the attacks the band wrote a song that would ultimately become their first major hit. And that song is Where's the Love? Where's the 
attracted to things that'll bring the trauma. Overseas, yeah, we trying to stop terrorism, but we still got terrorists here living in the USA, the big CIA, the blood of the Crips and the KKK. But if you only have love for your own race, then you only leave space to discriminate. And to discriminate only generates hate. And when you hate, then you're bound to get irate. Yeah. Madness is what you demonstrate, and that's exactly how anger works and operates. Man, you gotta have love just to set it straight. Take control of your mind and meditate. Let your soul gravitate to the love, y'all, y'all. People killing, people dying, children hurt, and you hear them crying. Can you practice what you preach, and would you turn the other cheek? Father, 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 help us, send some guidance from above. These people got me, got me questioning. Yeah. And just like that, the world was cured. Yeah. Yeah. The last 20 years has been a fucking breeze. <laughs> Thanks, Peas. In all seriousness, though, um, as far as Black Eyed Peas songs that piss me off, that's nowhere on the list. I no. have no problem with that song. Yeah, that's a, that, that's a fine song. I think when it came out, actually, I remember liking it back then. I actually think I had the opposite reaction. I think like I was in like peak like angsty cynic mode back then, and I thought it was dumb. But I suppose the most stinging criticism you could make is that there's the lyrics are very general like oh yeah you know, we need more love in the world and not hatred yeah, you duh, know duh. yeah you know it's it a little bit reminds me of uh nickelback's when we stand together it's not that not nearly that bad yeah in terms of being like just like you can at least and, point to lines be like okay they don't like racism yeah. chad doesn't even go that far you don't know <laughs> what side he's on <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, especially when you understand this song in the context that it was written, and it really does feel like they mean it. Yes. So, so yeah. So like, I uh, I don't really, yeah, I don't have a big problem with this one either. And other than the fact maybe that it was just so huge, like you could not get away from this thing for like a year. It just don't don't you remember that? Like, it just yeah. fucking dominated the radio. I, and I do agree. That's actually where I soured on it for a while. Uh, just yeah, overplayed. It started to drive me nuts. Mm-hmm. And now that we're full circle, I'm okay with it again. Yeah, there's a lot, and there's a lot of uh, stuff in there uh, that suggests that like people are too shallow, only focused on money. <laughs> um, we're gonna like keep that one in the bank when yeah. we talk about <laughs> <laughs> where this band is gonna go later on. But I think it. But this song, uh, as we just kind of suggested, was a huge hit, and I think there's a lot of reasons why. But one of them is uh, the fact that uh, Justin Timberlake is doing the chorus there. Really. Oh yeah, he's, I did not know that. Oh really? He didn't know that. He uh, well, he's the reason he's not featured on there, or his name isn't on there because his record label didn't allow it for some reason. But no, that that's him singing the the chorus. He actually wrote that hook. Wow, lucky break for them. Yeah. So this is uh, this is when he he hadn't really had established a solo career by this point. He was still like the boy band in sync guy, but. What happened was uh, Taboo ran into him at a, a nightclub somewhere and they started like you know, dancing in front of people. And then that somehow that led to this kind of budding friendship and uh, they needed someone to do the chorus or write some kind of hook for this song. And Taboo tries to sell to Will I Am like, hey, you, I just struck up uh, this friendship with JT. We should put him on. 
and Will Am was kind of a tough sell. But I, I could see that that's sharing the spotlight a little in his eyes, I'm sure. Well, yeah, but also like remember they're still trying to be cool at this point. And InSync was not cool with the type of people that would have been Black Eyed Peas fans sure. in 2000 when there's still this like underground rap group. So they brought him in. Uh, they told him to write a quote Marvin Gaye type hook, which I think it like if you listen to that chorus, like it does it, feel like that. Yeah, he, totally. He he pretty much nailed it. So that was a so I think that was a big reason for the song success is that that's a really good hook. Dude, I did not realize how, so for a guy that they would let later relegate to backup dancer status taboo, I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, he's largely <laughs> responsible for a big reason. This band took off. Oh, for in sure. A way. Yeah. He's a, a, there's a lot of little moments like that in uh, his story where he's kind of a small, but important role on the fringes. I'm trying to find like a good metaphor there, but He's Sam to Will I Am's Frodo. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a good one. And so even though that song is kind of simplistic, I think you have to you know at least give them credit for being socially conscious, much more so than the road it's, we're kind of headed down. It is the last song they write that means anything. I really view Where Is The Love as kind of the bridge between the old Black Eyed Peas that was very intelligent and socially aware and the new black eyed peas which is just going like just diving head first into the ball pit of Popland. yeah so yeah like we said where is the love in 2003 absolutely fucking blew up this is the song that put black eyed peas on the map it got up to number eight on the the u.s uh, billboard charts but it was number one in the, the united kingdom for six straight weeks and actually was the number one best-selling single in Britain that year. You know, it's actually interesting. I've read in a, a number of accounts that Black Eyed Peas kind of became more popular in the rest of the world before they got big in America. Like, in even when they had those kind of two first failed albums, like, if you look at, like, comparable sales in, like, Australia, UK, Europe, they're actually doing quite a lot better. I always wondered why that happens. I mean, I'm sure there's no easy answer. I'm sure it's a myriad of reasons, but it's just that stuff is interesting to me. Yeah, like I've been told that that's true of uh, like Kings of Leon. Like they they do okay here, but they're like huge in Britain. Mm-hmm. I just I don't I don't really do you have a, an, any theories of why it exists for this particular band? No, none. I'm I'm confused by it. Yeah, I I can't either. I don't know. I mean, a lot of the featured names that would have helped sell the album here don't mean as much over there. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm way off base. I'm kind of talking on my ass, but it feel like it should have done here. Like we alluded to in the last episode, the second album should have done great here. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it didn't. Yeah. And then you take these names that a lot of Americans know. And for some reason that does translate in Australia and UK. I, I just, I don't understand. I don't have an answer. Maybe it just wasn't dumb enough yet for Americans <laughs> to swallow. <laughs> With a hit single on rotation, Black Eyed Peas dropped their third album, Elefunk, on June 24th, 2003. And I want to spend a minute talking about this album because it's kind of a strange one. Yes, that is a great word. So, strange and bad, <laughs> but that's just me. <laughs> what, it, what are your kind of general thoughts on this record? This is a scattered album. <laughs> yeah. Like, it does not know what it wants to be. It feels like a platypus or something. <laughs> yeah, you've got you've got Where's the Love, you've got uh you know songs like Hey Mama, which is like kind of like a 
like a reggae dance hall yep. type song. You've got Let's Get It Started, you know, just like obvious kind of, pop anthem. Yeah. I think at some point Will I Am realized he only needs about two good songs on an album for it to sell. Because <laughs> that's that's what Ella Funk is to me. Mm. You have Let's Get It Started, which honestly, I will publicly admit I like that song a bit. That's a dope song. I especially the bass line. The bass line. R- really that's dope, why. Really dope bass line on that song. Yep. And then I I like as we just said I like Where's the Love. Yeah. Every single other song on there to me is a pile of shit. And um. <laughs> And, and Amazon Music agrees with me going off the ratings of the popularity of how who listens to what tracks. Yeah. The two I just mentioned are Through the Roof and everything else in that album barely gets listened to. There's a lot of stuff that like you really wonder, were they just kind of throwing shit at a wall to see what sticks? I, yes. That's the exact feeling I had through the whole album. Like we know based off of the story that we're telling that they were desperate at this point. Like they needed this to work some way, somehow. And they knew that what they were doing previously wasn't doing the trick. Yeah. And as you just said, it's it's such a weird mix of styles. There's kind of like a reggae song, that one that uh, you'll hear in a bit. It's kind of new, <laughs> new metal. Yeah, Jesus. Um, you know, and there's just some regrettable tracks on here. Yeah, a lot, a lot of... <laughs> I mean, we're not, we're not going to dive into... Uh, well, you will a little. What the? Yeah. F- they use a certain word a lot on this album. Yeah, and it was still. Uh, I'll forgive them because at the time we were using that a lot more casually. Yeah, um, for sure. They've they've completely washed that. If you download the album now on any streaming service, it's yeah. different. It's uh, it is very odd because well, what he's talking about is the song. Let's get it started. It originally included the R word. You know. Um, I assume most people do, but I think a lot of people actually don't because uh, the song's just been around for so long. You'd only so, know it if you watched Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. <laughs> yeah, but um, and again, like 2003, it was a different time. But this is also the band that has a song about like we need to come together. Where's right. the love? Like, I know on the same fucking album. <laughs> can you practice what you preach? Like, how about just not being ableist? <laughs> Good place to start. Um. But yeah, like, and there's there's some weird shit. Like, there's that song. Uh, there's a song called Labor Day parentheses. It's a holiday. Where do you remember that one, Cal? <laughs> no, I'm just laughing at the title. Yeah, it is in fact a holiday. Do you it's, guys remember it? Yeah. So like, I was listening. I, I I rented the CD from the library. I was listening to that track in the car with my girlfriend, and she actually was the one that pointed out like they don't mention Labor Day in the song and i was like i was taking my like yeah they do like they must but and then i looked at the lyrics like no they don't they just say it's a holiday let's celebrate i don't work through today or the next three days which also isn't how holidays work maybe he he just he must have wrote it on like the friday that he had the long week the long labor day weekend that's all i can figure yeah but also the fact that they would maybe they included the phrase Labor Day after the fact because he realized, like, hey, there's no song for Labor Day. There's no song that they play every single Labor Day. So maybe some DJ will notice that and start putting I, this one in rotation. Yeah, you, know, you heard my theory on him in the first episode. I agree with you. I, I think that's what he did. Like, this guy is just a savvy marketing man, like, just looking for, for any little opportunity. Yep. And so my main critique of this album is, as we just kind of discussed, it just varies so much in terms of its musical style and its themes. 
And I guess to be as fair as possible to Black Eyed Peas, that in itself is not inherently a bad thing. You know, think about the White Album. Like, right. That album is also very disjointed and and varies dramatically in style, but it, it somehow works there where it doesn't here. Yeah, here I don't think they did a very good job at any single one of these concepts. Yeah. But I want to uh, just kind of highlight two of the more interesting choices that they made on this album. The first one I want to talk about is a song called Latin Girls, which uh, just based on that title, <laughs> I'm sure you can kind of guess what is going to be wrong with this song. So let's just uh, go ahead and play it. I like Latin and Latin women, and they love me because I'm that man. With cocoa nuts and chocolate skin, I'm that mocha masculine. Feminines that are Latin, call your friends and call your cousins, because I know you got dozens of them. But we as Elizabeth, Sonia, and Blancas, when I see you, you can get bone if you want to. Yo quiero and I'm sincero. If you never had an Ichi, let me be your primero. We can hit the channel, we can dance the boleto. Have a shopping spree and you can spin my dinero, but... I wish you was more like J Lo, cause love don't cost a thing. So why don't you let this king love the queen of Argentina? Girl, you know I know you know what I mean, cause I like them. Cuban girls, Cuban girls. I like them. Puerican girls, Puerican girls. You get them. Mexican girls, Mexican girls. You get them. Spanish girls, Spanish girls. I like them. Girls, girls, Latin girls. Latin girls, Latin girls. You're making me hot, girl. What's happening, girls? What's happening? It's a slim shady type beat. Yeah. Yeah, it is. That's a, that's a good observation. It's, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. This is a mixed bag. Cause, cause in 2002, 22 language, I don't, I think a lot of people would have a problem with this. Yeah. It's weird though. If you go through the YouTube comments, uh, there's a lot of accounts with Latin names saying they fucking love this song. So I'm sure many do, but a like, are we getting a representative sample? Yeah, and, I, again, I'm I'm so out of my element. I I can't say either way. I mean, I remember remember in Bloodhound Gang we covered that one song that was so racist against Asians that we couldn't even like play it or yeah. mention the lyrics. Like, there may be one Chinese guy's like, I love it. Yeah, there, there's a couple of you know like guys named Chen on the the YouTube comments page to say like I'm Asian and I like this. Like <laughs> you're gonna find people like that. Yeah. You know, some people, a lot of Native Americans were genuinely okay with the uh, the former name of the Washington Commanders. You know, but that doesn't mean it's not offensive lyrically. Sure. You know, like when he has lyrics like uh, "Feminines that are Latin, call your friends and call your cousins because I know you got dozens of them." <laughs> like <laughs> it's just. I'm not going to say it's racist. It's just weird. It's very, it's like he's really tiptoeing on the borders of uh, relying too much on stereotypes. But I guess uh, if if I'm going to be, if I'm going to be charitable to Will, I am here. You got to remember where he grew up. You know, he grew up in East LA. He grew up, he was, he was going through puberty. He was noticing all the Latin girls walking up and down the street. Right. So maybe maybe this actually speaks to, more to his personality and his desires than I'm assuming based off of the content of the song. I'll just add in, I just don't think the song's very good. <laughs> no, it's not. It's... <laughs> lyrics aside, no. I mean, again, this is another one that to me is, uh, I, I don't know, there's just nothing about this that does anything for me. I can't explain it. It just feels like it is pandering, and they possibly wrote this specifically to get Latin girls to come backstage with them after the yeah, show. Yeah, it feels like Nickelback rap. 
Yeah. I don't know how else to put it. It just, it feels inauthentic. And and I think in the context of the album, if you have the bravery and intestinal fortitude to listen to the whole thing, the whole thing starts to kind of feel like this. Yes. Every single song, you're just kind of like, who is this for? It's just a, a different, weird attempt to pander to somebody. Yeah. And that kind of brings us to the next song I want to talk about, because this is an attempt to pander to probably the worst people that were around at that time. Um, This is uh, a song called Anxiety, and it is a collaboration between Black Eyed Peas and the new metal band Papa Roach. (laughs) Like, I just, when I learned about this, I could not believe that this is a fucking thing. Like, how did this go unnoticed by cultural critics for two decades? You know, they. to be fair, they tried to build themselves as kind of a rock-rap hybrid. Yeah, they did. They're in the hip-hop okay. world a little. I mean, they, they did go on the Warp Tour, so, you know, maybe that kind of inspired them a little then, bit. You know, but he had cut his life into pieces at this point. <laughs> so, yeah, it's crazy he made it into this track. All right, let's take a listen. thing we've done as a society it's up there it's up there with chemical warfare (laughs) and you know maybe this isn't the worst rap rock song from that era we've played worse (laughs) but it's just like what why man Uh, yeah again it's i like you said it's he knows somewhere he needs to get the young white limp biscuit demographic yeah i mean it's making money so yep do you suppose, Cal, that let's say that they released this song as a single and it just took off for whatever reason? Then, like, whereas the love didn't work, and let's get it started didn't work, but this Anxiety. song did. Do you think like they would have refashioned their whole career and purpose as a new metal band? Yes, I, I, I do. <laughs> I'm like picturing like Taboo getting frosted tips, and <laughs> it's like, yo, yo, let's let's buy a bunch of tracksuits. Like this is our thing now. <laughs> and they got facial tattoos. They got I Jinko jeans. <laughs> it's actually alarming how easy that is for me to see. <laughs> yo, Doctor Pepper, here's the new shit. <laughs> Dr. Pepper, <laughs> fuck you, mom and dad. Shake it up before you give it to your friend. <laughs> but there's one major change with Elefunk that we haven't addressed yet. Toward the end of our last episode, 
I mentioned that we'd bring up a certain female member of the Black Eyed Peas, and now I finally intend to do so. This woman's an incredible talent and an important part of our story. Her name is Kim Hill, also known as Kim Hill. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. We knew. Yeah. I know. I know you haven't. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to who you're thinking of in a moment, but um, let me explain. So if you listen to any of the first two Black Eyed Peas albums, you probably noticed a female vocalist featured in the background and on many of the choruses, songs such as this one. Yeah, so um, obviously that wasn't Fergie. That was a woman named uh, Kim Hill. Um, you tricked me. Ah, got ya. Yeah, so Kim Hill was a, uh, well, she's still alive. She is a, <laughs> she, yeah. She's she actually, was a black-eyed pea. She was a black-eyed pea for a while, uh, kind of. So she met the these guys early on in their career. She was already... She had moved out to L.A. to be a vocalist, and uh, she hooked up with them. Will I Am. Um, he wanted to feature her on a couple of songs on their first album, and she agreed, and they kind of hit it off. Uh, she would actually go on tour with them, and they had this kind of, uh, you know, she, would, she was even in some of their videos. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, she like was, like, almost a member of, of this group. But sure, like, like the keyboardist in a 90s group. Yeah. <laughs> you put him off stage, but they're there. But they're they're there for sure. And then just like behind the scenes, like she had already been kind of established in the musical world. So they kind of and they, she was older than them. So they kind of looked up to her as this kind of older sister. Like, again, like we talked about with Taboo a second ago, like she has this role that's more outsized than is apparent from mm-hmm. just what you would get from listening to the records and reading the promotional releases and shit like that. I think maybe part of the reason that she bonded with these guys is that she had a kind of an unusual life story. So she was a black girl that grew up in a largely white suburb. So she's doing a lot of uh, code switching. She's uh, kind of a this outsider, you know, that, sure. that's you know, having trouble fitting in, yeah. which is the same story with all the rest of these guys. Yep. So for a while, things are going pretty well. She's got parts on you know several songs on you know both of the first two albums so what happened why wasn't kim hill there when the black eyed peas finally blew up well according to kim as the group slowly started to make headway in the music industry the band's internal philosophy began to change where once black eyed peas had stood for artistic integrity over commercialism now the reverse was true and worse yet kim was feeling pressure to sexualize herself something that she was deeply against. Let's hear this in her own words, uh, courtesy of a documentary that she recently did for the New York Times. There was new management now, so there was a whole different set of expectations and pressure. It just started to get clumsy and messy. You want me to grind on Will I Am in a bathing suit. That was being asked of me, never by the guys. That was happening as a, from an executive level. How far out on this plank do you want me to go? 
the tug of war was about my sexuality and how much of that I was willing to like literally strip down. Man, I would say in a way she's the only one that had real artistic integrity. <laughs> you know, the fact yeah. that she bailed on this. And she has to know if you want to make it in that industry at that time in that genre of music, mm-hmm. that's part of the gig. Oh, for sure. And in the fact that she just, you know, called it a day when she hit that ceiling. Um, I respect that. I do too. Like, and there's nothing inherently wrong with being sexual, but that clearly wasn't her thing. It wasn't what she signed up for when she wanted to yep. go out there and be a singer and be an artist. And as she kind of implied, it's not like uh, the the guys were like just greedily, you know, drooling from their mouths, like just take it off, girl. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like it's a lot of very indirect, uh, kind of subtle nods that like all these uh industry people the kind of people that get more and more involved with the band the more it be the more it turns from three guys into an operation a business a corporation more and more people in suits start getting involved and making their own suggestions and uh you could show a little more skin They, they do it in the other rap videos yeah like it's not it's not super direct but there's there's a heavy implication and this was one of the main things that letter to leave the group right right before they were about to become famous but but apparently um she has no regrets she's still still doing pretty well she still is a singer and a dj so good good for her yeah dude she wasn't responsible for my humps (laughs) makes her my my favorite female that was in the black eyed peas (laughs) right but with kim gone there was a void to be filled and will i am found it in the form of a young singer named stacy ferguson soon to be known as fergie Stacy was a lifelong entertainer, having done professional acting since the age of eight. So yeah, so now we've got another case of a uh, a girl reared in child acting. She grew up in Southern California. She was on this musical sitcom called Kids Incorporated, which was uh, it <laughs> like, sounds horrific. It's basically like a Mickey Mouse Club sure. type of show where you have kids uh, singing popular songs but they're kids somewhere out there there's a a video of her like age like 11 or whatever singing a billy joel's it's still rock and roll to me on youtube it just sounds like the worst thing ever yeah i i I will not be looking it up i'm sorry nick i thought about subjecting you to that but then i thought like i don't want to get kicked out of cal's house in the middle (laughs) of the session But uh, beyond that, um, if you are a fan of the Peanuts movies, It's Flash Beagle, Charlie Brown, or Snoopy's Getting Married, Charlie Brown, she played Sally in those episodes. I had no idea there was Charlie Browns outside of the Great Pumpkin. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's a fucking ton of them. Yeah, I I used to watch uh, a bunch of Charlie Brown movies as a kid. It's so weird to think that she was in that. It's like when I found out that Steven Crowder was the brain in Arthur for a little bit. <laughs> nice. Yeah, really <laughs> fucked up. And ironic, too. Yeah. But anyway, uh, eventually she began to grow out of these kids' roles. And you know, by the time she's a teenager, she realizes how dumb it all is. So she turns to music full-time, and she forms this girl group called Wild Orchid with two other women who... If I was more of a professional, I would have written down in their names and put it in the script. But, <laughs> but we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on uh, Wild Orchid. Um, this is a song from Wild Orchid's uh, debut album, which was released in 1996. This song is called Talk to Me. 
power jazzercising. <laughs> Pump it. We're at curves for women. This is like their fucking jam. I mean, I don't know. Not for me, but I didn't hate it, I guess. No, it's just it's pretty standard girl pop of that of that era, kind of like the Kirkland Spice Girls, yeah. perhaps. <laughs> that is a perfect analogy. There's one thing you uh, kind of mentioned while we were off air that like it definitely sounds like her, doesn't it? Yeah, when her part comes in, uh, you can tell it's her without even watching the video. Yeah, it's like she that that very like excessive vocalization like apparently was always evident in her singing. Uh, so this song wasn't a hit. Like this band kind of struggled to take off, but that single apparently went gold in South Africa. Oh, that's more than I can say I've done. So yeah, so good job. Again, uh, secret sauce. Uh, why did this song only do well in South Africa? <laughs> like what? What is it about that appeals to those people? The world will never ever know. I don't think <laughs> there's some. I feel like there's some scientific reasoning. If you could study all the genetics of all the people compositing all these countries and their brain waves, and then match that against the waves and forms <laughs> of these songs, there's there's something. There's a there there man. Um, okay, but so then, how does she end up uh, being in the Black Eyed Peas? Well. Like the Black Eyed Peas in their early years, they didn't do great, but they did kind of just well enough to stay in the game, like just well enough to get a record deal, to get invited on tours, but not well enough that they actually broke through to a mainstream audience. So they released two albums in 96 and 98, but neither of them did all that great. Sure. While Walmart $2 bin. Yeah. <laughs> According to Fergie, uh, this band's music was, quote, too urban for pop radio, too pop for urban radio. I disagree that it was urban at all. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is this is urban to, to some people. I think imagine, that's her imagine, just defending her own failure. <laughs> like how white do you have to be for that to sound urban? Yeah, for real. My my go to example was Jazzercise. Like, come on. <laughs> So Wild Orchid did record a third album, but by that point, the label had basically just given up on them and they refused to release it. And by this point, Fergie uh, was kind of, in a, well, she wasn't Fergie back then. She was still Stacy Ferguson. Sure. But we can she, go with Fergie. That's yeah. She was in a bad place and she was starting to experiment with drugs and that quickly kind of snowballed into this all out addiction. So by the time she left Wild Orchid in 2001, uh, she was broke. She was addicted to meth. At one point, she says she only weighed 90 pounds and was suffering constant mental hallucinations as a result of her addiction. According to one interview, actually, she claimed that she once had an eight-hour conversation with a laundry hamper. (laughs) That makes me wonder what conversation with Fergie's like. (laughs) <laughs> you know, everyone knows someone that as long as you're sitting there going, mm-hmm, they, they can just talk. Yeah. Indefinitely. It's like you could be as rude as possible. Like, huh? oh, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> and they don't, and they don't they know. They just don't get they it. They have absolutely, I, I'm amazed by these people all the time. They have absolutely zero self-awareness that they are actively annoying another human being who has no interest in what they're saying. It happened to me at Portillo's recently. Yeah. I was eating there with two coworkers and we, I just mentioned that one of the sandwiches was good. 
And one of the guys working there, he started talking about all the sandwiches that he liked and didn't like. And we're clearly all looking at our plates like we were having our own conversation. Oh, no. He just was not getting it. Oh, my God. And it just, it just, it just becomes no, eventually, this diatribe. I'm at the point in my life, I just told him to go away. <laughs> I, <laughs> I hit that point where it was like, dude, we're trying to have a conversation. Maybe it's because I've spent so long in customer service, but I admire your bravery. I can't, <laughs> I, I physically can't do that. Like most of the time I have to, do you know how many like plot lines in people's lives that I've completely lost because I was pretending to listen to their conversation <laughs> and like then they come back the the next day thinking that like you're uh, their therapist now yeah that like I like I'm supposed to follow this story about how like they're they got in an argument with their sister on 4th of July and like I'm supposed to know the names of all these different people that I have never met and never will be will never care about in my right. life and you want to ask them like hey do you even know my name yeah i think i'm just a sounding board for you here yeah it's like you're here because i am paid to be in this spot (laughs) and i can't leave (laughs) but no yeah so poor laundry hamper (laughs) so yeah so i mean i i don't want to sound too mean making fun of her because this is a really bad state that she's in but i feel like i can do it because it has a happy ending yeah. Um, yeah, like she obviously things worked out really well long term for Stacey Ferguson, but kind of the peak of this whole episode was uh, so she uh, she's having these hallucinations. She, this paranoia, right, kind of comes with the territory when you're doing meth. Yeah. So she's in her apartment. She's got all the windows drawn and she is absolutely convinced that the FBI is waiting outside her apartment and that the SWAT team is ready to burst in and arrest her any minute. And she's so convinced of this that she says a prayer to God. She says to God, if I walk out there and there's no FBI, if you can just take this FBI threat away from me, I swear to God, I'm going to get clean. And you know what happened? G.O.D. came through. God physically removed every single FBI agent Big from Stacy Ferguson's Woo. apartment, and Stacy was saved. That's the power of our Lord. <laughs> if that does not convince you that there's a man upstairs, <laughs> I don't think anything will. But yeah, so in 2001, she eventually quit meth. I heard one interview said that she used hypnotherapy to help her. Which, Whatever works for you. Yeah, not going not gonna to advocate for or against that hypothesis. But hey, like kudos to her. That's a really, really hard drug to quit. And then this is where the Black Eyed Peas come back into the picture. You see, the band had a song on the Elefunk sessions called Shut Up, which required a female vocalist. Now, remember, Kim Hill is out of the picture by this point, so Stacy Ferguson was invited to try out for the part, and honestly, I think she did a pretty good job. Shut up, shut up, shut up. 
get you stop trying. I've never been a quitter, but I do deserve better. Believe me, I will do bad. Let's forget the bad. Start this new plan. Why? Cause it's the same old routine, and then next week I hear them scream. Girls, I know you're tired of the thing to say. You're damn right, cause I heard them lame damn excuses just yesterday. That was a different thing. No, it ain't. That was a different thing. No, it ain't. That was a different thing. Yeah, I'm fine with the vocal performance. Yeah. But now we're into where I have my biggest issues with Black Eyed Peas. Mm. That whole song is just a stomp clap beat. Yeah. And every now and then there's kind of a guitar going do 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 do. There's like really musically almost nothing happening. And you're right, there is some spots where they kind of ratchet it up, they'll add something. Mm-hmm. But it's just not enough for me. Uh I don't I'm not someone that can like buy into this narrative this story that she's a scorned woman and that's what makes the song interesting i need an actual interesting song yeah but but again that's that's my personal tastes and my my gripe with this era of the black eyed peas well this is where the evil pandering genius of will i am comes back into the picture because he was actually inspired to write this when he watched Taboo on the phone yelling at his girlfriend or whoever he was with at the time. <laughs> like, a lot of people probably get in fights with their significant others. It's like, shut up. You shut up. You shut up. Hey, there's something here, bro. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and so again, like you said, you know, pretty much everyone has gotten to some kind of fight with their significant other. It's a universal theme. How could that not be a hit? Yep. Like just, just give it a shot. And so uh, and I'm not a huge fan of this song, but I think like in terms of what she's asked to do on that track, I, I think she I think she does it pretty well. Yeah, so I, it, I agree. It, it's convincing. And so uh, so this song they were they recorded in the studio like, you know, the, at the time, there's not a whole lot that she's being asked to do beyond, beyond just this song. But then uh, something interesting happens. So Jimmy Iovine, the founder of Interscope Records, he loved this song so much. He thought it was the best song on the album. And he loved it so much that he insisted that Fergie be made a full-on member of the group. According to a one Billboard interview that I read, Will I Am was a bit skeptical of this at first. But then Jimmy Iovine convinced him by saying, quote, Go look at the magazine rack on Vine in Hollywood and tell me what you see. Uh, and then Will notices that there's all these girls on the covers. And Jimmy says, exactly. Now, why don't you put uh, Stacy your, in your group? <laughs> well, and again, if you want to be the biggest selling rap artist, this man has a point. Yeah. It's, yeah, do go with the trend. Like it just, it gives them a very different look and flavor because we've seen a few press photos of just the three guys hanging out together trying to look hip. But but then everybody remembers the press photos of the four Black Eyed Peas with Fergie. And somehow just adding one female, especially a photogenic and uh, conventionally attractive female, mm-hmm. just seems to give it an entirely new edge. Yep. So gradually they're convinced to 
invite Fergie to be part of this band, or at least try her out, see if she'll work. I'm sure there must have been a lot of skepticism within the group. Like it's been these three bros for years and right, years you're, now. You're worried she's going to Yoko the whole thing. You, you yeah. don't know. Yeah, it's an understandable fear, even if they do uh, respect her. So they basically, it was a trial by fire. They basically just took her on stage with them with very little training and they just threw her into the deep end and had her sing in front of thousands of people, despite the fact that they had done like almost no rehearsal with her. And apparently she just completely nailed it. She was a very intimidating environment, especially for someone who a year ago was addicted to meth. Right. And now is like just finally back on her feet and is being asked to do this like seemingly impossible task. Right. No, it's crazy. A very only a very specific personality can do that. Yeah. So, you know, whatever else you want to say about Fergie, and I maybe I'm defending her a little bit because I feel like a lot of people kind of associate her so strongly with this sudden and rapid decline of black eyed peas. Right. That yeah, that's that's the story is when she joined they got shitty. Yeah. And I think that gets conflated with they got shitty because she joined. Yeah. I don't think that's true. I, I think as you've reasonably proven so far, this all happened at once. Yeah. Now, and it happened because of decisions that the band and particularly Will I Am were making. Yes. So Fergie perhaps is the symptom, not the disease. Yes. So now we get to the part of our story where it seems like our heroes have finally made it. Elefunk was the monster hit Black Eyed Peas had long been chasing. It sold more than 3 million copies in the U.S., and 9 million worldwide, in addition to spawning multiple top 40 hits. I mean, in a way, I'm proud for them. Yeah. You know, it is always fun to watch people achieve their dreams. Uh, how they did it is not my favorite <laughs> thing in the world, but just their success at face value is cool. I can be proud of them and still think the music is ass. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's just from almost two years of doing this show. Right. But, but, you know, like, knowing how hard they work to get there... It's like, yeah, cool, bro. I get it. Yep. But rather than rest on their laurels, the band worked even harder to ensure that their newfound fame would translate into lasting institutional success. Thus began the nonstop touring and promotional events, working from 6 a.m. till midnight. The band estimates that at one point they played more than 435 shows a year, what? sometimes three a day. Yeah, like they Jeez. would... Like, yeah, it's just they were just being shuttled from one thing to the next. Um, so that's just like shows, you know, concerts in one spot, plus like some promotional thing at a mall somewhere else. Then, you know, going to a radio event and then doing a magazine interview and then a photo shoot, which is that like is six hours. insane. That yeah. puts into context. If this is a spoiler, we'll cut it, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> there was an incident with uh, Fergie taking a piss off like a little bit off stage in the middle of a show because she had to go so bad yeah makes a lot more sense hearing that fact yeah just when you're like you had no break in the day at any point i guess it makes a little more sense now oh for sure and uh you know it's just a typical thing we've seen with a lot of artists like they wake up they don't even know what city they're playing in that day until somebody tells them it's fucking crazy and it's it's, it's gonna take a toll on anybody and if it feels like Black Eyed Peas are losing their perspective. Can you see... blame them? Yeah, yeah, I don't see how you couldn't. They don't interact with normal people anymore. So, yeah, these guys are hustling. And uh, 
you know, they're working really hard, but they're also increasing both their musical sales and their commercial presence. And I want to just kind of highlight a few examples of times that you're starting to see black eyed peas being associated with certain consumer products. So 2004, the song Hey Mama was used to launch a new Apple product called the iPod. Ooh. Do you remember those commercials where it's like the black silhouette, but the earbud headphones and the iPod are white? I do remember that. Yes. Yeah. Black Eyed Peas were in one of those first commercials. Okay. Which I, I apparently didn't realize at the time. I'm sure it's just one of those things that went through my uh, pot-addled brain back then. <laughs> in one ear, out the other. And then uh, that same song was also used in the uh, soundtrack for Garfield 2. <laughs> That's when you know you made it. <laughs> we, we actually watched a clip of the the way that that song was used in that movie. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts? There's a lot of things I would sit through for my kid, and that movie is not one of them. <laughs> we gave the Bahaman a ton of shit for having a song in the Garfield soundtrack. I feel like it's only fair that we mentioned that Black Eyed Peas were involved in this monstrosity as Anyone well. Anyone involved in the Garfield movie <laughs> is guilty of crimes against humanity. And then uh, also in 2004, this is something we alluded to previously, but the song Let's Get It Started was used for the NBA playoffs. And obviously the original title of that song had a a very bad word in it. But what I didn't realize until I started doing the research for this was the whole reason they changed the title was to get it used in the NBA commercials. (laughs) (laughs) So here you have a very weird quandary. Because on the one hand, we want to like kind of dunk on them for selling out. But at the same time, in the process of doing that, they did something that was objectively good and what they should have done in the first place. It just goes to show the universe is chaotic. (laughs) That's all it is. It's just kind of like how nowadays Pride Month happens every June and every company from like mcdonald's to citibank is doing pride flags and there's like all this like very like middle brow twitter discourse of Mm -hmm. how corporations are co-opting the gay rights movement and how that's like kind of a good thing and kind of not you know sometimes just because corporations are have such a outsized role in our culture occasionally their values will happen to align with what is objectively good. And now you have to feel weird. (laughs) You're my enemy, but you're saying something I agree with. Um, Shit. (laughs) Yeah. So things just happen. That's what I sum ever all this stuff up with. Yeah. (laughs) Entropy. And also, uh, by the way, the song, let's get it started. It actually won the band their first Grammy. <laughs> that one's that's fitting, man. Because like yeah. I said, that's probably my single favorite song of anything past the first two albums. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a fun one. Uh, they won for best rap performance by a duo or group, which is a actually a category that does not exist anymore. All right, so they're the reigning <laughs> champs. <laughs> so with the wind at their backs, the Black Eyed Peas released their fourth album, Monkey Business, in May of two thousand five. This album pushes the band even further toward pop music and was just as successful as its predecessor. So, uh, yeah. Dude. I, Here we go. Monkey business. This this one, I I tried, man. 
<laughs> I feel the same way about this album that I feel about Garfield too. Really? That I bad. I struggle, dude. I can admire the production. Yeah. You know, I I get why someone would like this. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. This is this is adult Barney music. Is it like how would you say it's different from Ella Funk? Just even simpler. Even mm-hmm. simpler. I mean, you're hard pressed to find a, a word with more than two syllables in the lyrics of this <laughs> album. And and I just think the songwriting got even simpler. It, it's in that style now where once you've heard the first verse and the first chorus, you've heard the song. Yeah. There's no reason to even go further. And and as we point out, the your big hits off this are songs like My Humps. Yeah, Jesus. And Don't Funk With My Heart. And they're not good songs. I will disagree with you about Don't Funk With My Heart. I I don't know why. And and I think it's a kind of a jam. Uh, right. It's... I think the I, I agree that this album is a lot more simple lyrically. Lyrically, it's a joke, pretty much. Dude, I, I made the mistake of um, to do the research for this one. We were driving to a, a charity heart walk, and I was like, "All right, kids, we can listen to Black Eyed Peas in the car." Because I have to do my <laughs> research, and they jammed out. Oh, of course. So if you love this album. You were the same mental level as a 15-year-old and a 10-year-old. And I will say that to your face. <laughs> a lot of our audience probably is. <laughs> so I I mean, yeah, like there's a lot of silliness here and my humps is indefensible. But at the same time, I will I, I will give it credit. I think the production is pretty strong on here on, on yeah. a lot of the tracks. Yeah, I agree. That is that's been one of their strengths consistently. So I'm willing to overlook some of the dumbness you know, for that. And it feels more thematically unified. I will also agree Elephant. with you there. Yes. It knows what it is. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it, it, this album knows what it's about. They've abandoned any pretense of keeping it, keeping it on the higher ground or, yep. you know, anything like that. I, and I can, I can respect that. Cause if they're, they're a business now and they've trimmed the fat. Mm-hmm. And they've sharpened the pencil and they know exactly what they need to do. So a couple of trends that I find interesting. One is that Fergie was kind of a bit player on the first album. She was only really strongly featured on like one or two tracks. This one, she's like almost taking center stage at this point. They're using her a lot more mm-hmm. like to the point where it's almost like it's the will and Fergie show yeah this featuring is the, part... the, the two goofy sidekicks <laughs> yeah this is the part taboo. where that snl sketch comes in where <laughs> yeah. it's, they have their own show called uh our time <laughs> and, it's, <laughs> and it's the other two members of the black eyed Peas. yeah if you never see that uh google like uh, our time yeah. snl skit it's super funny and like to the point where like a lot of people probably couldn't name apple the app and taboo before they listened to this series oh totally it's it's and it just it's got to feel so weird for them, but you can see why. Like uh, the other three are kind of similar, they have a similar vibe going. But Fergie is Fergie. Like she's just gonna stand out, even if you put her off to the side. Mm-hmm. So I think we'll just realize. Well, I gotta like make the most juice out of this that I can. Yeah. I also just kind of I couldn't help us notice. You know, Cal, we cover so many artists that reach a point in their career where they do like a fuck the critics song or a fuck the critics album. And this album opens with these lyrics. People want to hate on us. Um, 
it's not people it's the n-word but i'm not gonna say that sure um people want to hate on us people be envious i know why they hate on us because we're so fabulous (laughs) (laughs) Uh... i have a message to like just all of all the artists that we cover like is it possible that people would criticize you because they legitimately think that you're bad. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's always that you're jealous. I don't think Limp Biscuit or Billy Ray or Vanilla Ice or anybody like that could possibly conceive that people are being sincere when they say that these guys suck. It's because if you or I walked up to Billy Ray Cyrus and said, like, I think I'm cooler than you. (laughs) I mean, his whole life is built around not that. That can't yeah. be possible. No, God wants me to do this. Are you saying yeah. God is wrong? So, yeah. So that's just, it's a, it's only a small moment, but like you could tell, like they're kind of becoming self-aware that yeah, they used to be critical darlings and now the critics are tar- starting to turn on them. And then last but not least, I feel like we cannot avoid talking about my humps. Now for years, I thought that this song was dumber than dirt, but maybe what if it isn't? What if this song actually has a deeper message rooted in feminist conscience? I'll hear you out, Nick, but this is going to be like convincing me that we didn't land on the moon or something. Well, you don't have to take it from me, Cal. You can take it from the source, Will I Am himself. So I want you to listen to this clip from a recent podcast interview uh, where uh, Taleb Kweli is interviewing Will I Am. All right. Yeah, so my, my homes was like, I, okay, I got this cousin. Mm-hmm. To me, my cousin is like always like, I'm so proud of her. She's always been like a beautiful queen. And she would always be like, I, I'm like, how come you don't go out? Well, yeah, I don't like going out to no clubs in Hollywood. Why? Because niggas always grabbing on my wrists and shit. Mm. And I don't want to, I don't want to get in no fights with no niggas. Right. Like, I don't like people just grabbing on me thinking they can just pull on me. And so I was like, oh, shit. Like, I need to write a record like that. Right. From a growth perspective, like, don't pull on me. Right. Like, you ain't my man. Like, what the fuck are you doing? And so my humps is written from the perspective of, like, thinking of what my, my, my cousin has to go through. She's beautiful. Right. And dudes just thinking they could just step up. Like, hey, girl. Hey, shorty. Right. Get over here. Where you going, girl? Like, imagine if, like, you hot. And that's what you got to go through just to go out. <laughs> All right, you know, here's my response to that. I don't think Will I Am has women's best interest at heart. I think this is just another demographic that he noticed because he literally basically spells it out. I saw my cousin, she has this problem. I need to write a song about that that she can relate to. I, I don't think it's a, a empowerment because uh, it. He gen maybe he genuinely believes in it and it's just serendipitous, but the main purpose was to have a big hit uh, based on a common experience of a large demographic again. Well, let's hear how that message that Will I Am is uh, allegedly trying to convey about like standing up for a woman who's being groped and goggled uh, at at a club. Let's see how that plays out in the actual lyrics to My Humps. <laughs> what you gonna do with all that junk? All that junk inside your trunk. I'ma get, 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 get you drunk. Get you love drunk off my hump. My hump, my hump. My hump, my hump, my hump. My hump, my 
check it out. I drive these brothers crazy. I do it on the daily. They treat me really nicely. They buy me all these ices. Dolce and Gabbana, Fendi and Adana. Karen, they be sharing all their money. Got me wearing fly. Girl, I ain't asking. They say they love my ass. And seven jeans to religion. I say no, but they keep giving. So I keep on taking. And no, I ain't taking. We can keep on taking. I keep on demonstrating my love. love. I, what Will is saying, he wrote it for, and what is happening are just so wildly different. <laughs> That's why I wanted to do this bit, because, like, how do you make a thing its opposite? And just, it begs the question to me is, like, does Will truly believe what he's saying? Or is he just, is, is he so convinced at this point that he's like this great salesman that he can just convince you that this snickers bar is a protein bar you know like how does dude even when i said my previous theory i gave him the benefit of the doubt that the lyrics were close to what he said they were in the interview (laughs) yeah you're buying it (laughs) yeah now i just i I don't even know i don't even know i think like you said he's just how how can i make this clearly materialistic shallow bullshit (laughs) seem a little more deep in an interview yeah he's he's embarrassed clearly and he i i I'm calling it that he's trying to justify it. You're listening to a man at war with himself, (laughs) you know, like he knows it's a dumb song, but he also made a lot of money off of it. And he just can't admit that like he did something bad to get where he wanted to go. You know? Yeah, I fully agree. But alas, I don't just want to focus on the hits from this album because I think a lot of times you find more meaning by looking at the deep cuts and such is the case with uh, Monkey Business. So in the middle of this disc, there's a song featuring Jack Johnson called Gone Going. It deals with musical success and materialism in a way that feels awkwardly on the nose in the context of this band's story. Let's take a listen. Johnny wanna be a big star Get on stage and play the guitar Make a little money by playing the car Big old house and an alligator Just to match with them alligator shoes He's a rich man so he's no longer singing the blues He's singing songs about material things And platinum rings and watches that go blink But diamonds don't blink in the dark He a star now but he ain't singing in front of heart Sooner or later it's just gonna fall apart Cause his fans can't relate to his newfound art He ain't doing what he did from the start And that's putting in some feeling in thought he decided to live his life shallow, cash in his love for material, and it's gone. Gone, going, gone, everything gone, give a damn. Gone be the birds when they don't want to sing. Gone people, How awkward with their things, gone. Um, okay, so, but like, like, just to review, you know, some of those lyrics. Sooner or later, he's just going to fall apart because his fans can't relate to his newfound art. He ain't doing what he did from the start. That's putting in some feeling and thought. He decided to live his life shallow, cash in his love for the material. <laughs> what's what's going on here, Cal? <laughs> My theory is Will, Will I Am knows 
that he can write a song like this and nobody's going to look up the lyrics. <laughs> but, like, but no, the song is about the lyrics. Like, it's just like, it's like just an acoustic guitar. Like, he clearly wants you to take in what he is saying, but it's just so ironic. Yeah, and it's tough because like, even if I were to hear the song and be somewhat moved, you listened to the rest of the shit to get here. Yeah. Like, you know that it, it's like, it's like trying to have your cake and eat it too, kind of. Yeah. I'm going to sell you an album full of bullshit and then talk about how that I kind of feel guilty about that. <laughs> I really can't decide how we are meant to read this song. There, I came up with a couple of theories. Like, one is Will I Am trying to show, like, the OG Black Eyed Peas fans that, like, no, no, like we may be successful now, but we're we're we still, still the same soul. old homeboys. Like we still care. We still yeah. got soul. Taboo and Apple Diep just pose now, but you know we're still the same guys. <laughs> or is Will I Am like kind of operating on more of a meta level, and he's trying to warn himself away from the path that he's clearly on at this point? Like, does he is like does he have some level of self awareness that he? knows like, okay, things are going really well. We're in a positive direction. Like uh, we had that, let's get it started. That was a bop. Like people really bounce to that. Like, oh, I just wrote this one called My Humps. And God, look at how people are ogling at that video. And the, But like some deeper part of them, it's, it's like gnawing away that like, Will, you're yeah. losing your soul. Right. I, I Yeah. Or my third theory is that there is absolutely zero self-awareness at play here. And Will I Am truly thinks that he can just write a song like this and mean it and write a song like My Humps and mean it. And everything's just somehow totally squared away. I think that is the 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 more descriptive way to say what I was saying. I do <laughs> think he thinks that. I think he knows his fans... This shit's just going on in the background for whatever thing they're doing. Yeah. Uh, it's like, I, I heard the, this one guy, the guy I showed you who does Henry's Kitchen. <laughs> so he was he he was a singer-songwriter, and he said he got into musical comedy because he was playing these coffee shop gigs, and he would be playing his heartfelt songs, and he'd notice no one was paying attention, so he'd just start saying ridiculous shit, and people just wouldn't really notice. <laughs> oh my god! That he's singing about like cockroaches and like weird shit. I mean, yeah, that's objectively what would happen. Yeah, so you know, it reminds me of that. I think William knows he's just shouting stuff into the ether. Mm. He could make a song that just is called like "Turds, Turds, Turds, Turds," and as long as it's got a great beat, it's going on in the club. Yeah. Do you think he feels guilty about it, though? Yeah, a little bit. I do think that. I don't think you can write those first two albums and literally have no artistic soul. Mm. I, I kind of agree with you, Cal. I do think that some part of him still wants to be an artist. He yeah, just, and, he just and that, can't. And that goes back to where he started this episode. It's... I think he defined success as being the best or defined being the best as the level of success he has now. Mm-hmm. I've sold so many fucking records. I'm the best. And, it's, but you, you know, then you go back to this, this question of, are you though? Are yeah. you the best because of your talent? Or are you just the best marketer in the land? You know, it, yeah. it, it's tough. That, that requires a lot of hard questions over, you know, 
maybe being taking a, a little bit of a cynical attitude about what people like. Yeah, and you know, you know, he didn't sit down and write my humps and produce it and hear the final cut and go, yeah, this is the best. <laughs> you know, he didn't. Yeah, it was a cynical release for money, and it worked. Absolutely. Now, by the mid-2000s, the Black Eyed Peas had reached a level of success that shot past anybody's expectations, least of all their own. But in the process, they'd become something almost unrecognizable to their earliest fans. They weren't the dumbest rap group in the game. I remember, like, we still had, like, Lil John and the East Side Boys yeah. and Yin Yang Twins around this time. But they certainly weren't the guys to promise to keep it on a higher level just a few years earlier. Now, it would be easy to conclude that by this point in our story, the band simply lost their soul. It sure seems like that's the case, but life is always more nuanced than simple narratives imply. And I want to end this episode by sharing a little anecdote that suggests that deep down, these guys didn't completely forget who they were. In 2004, Black Eyed Peas played their very first concert in South Africa, which at the time was celebrating 10 years of freedom from apartheid. The band was excited to perform, but quickly became disappointed and disillusioned when they realized that every face in the crowd was white. As Taboo put it, quote, It was shocking to our perceptions, because this scene informed us that our music was not affordable to the people that we expected it to reach, and our concerts were not affordable to the people we wanted to entertain the most. It's another way to look at exactly what we've been talking about. When you abandon the rapping at a higher level... Uh, they, they've basically abandoned their underground scene that they had. They kind of forgot that as entertainers of any kind, you have to self-select your own audience. And the music that you put out is, it's not going to, nothing's going to, nothing appeals to everyone equally. That's very rare. Like, so the challenge is to understand what type of person is going to be attracted to whatever I'm putting out. Mm -hmm. And they knew that like what they were putting out was appealing to more people. Like the, the numbers don't lie on that front, but maybe for a moment they didn't see how it all connects to us living in a stratified society. Yeah. And the fact that like, as you become more of a commercial enterprise, you are by definition less accessible to you know, the populace as a whole. Right. And, and even, even if you were accessible, uh, you're just less cool, I would say. Yeah, I I think you they shouldn't be surprised that people in in bad economic situations aren't gonna relate to this shit anymore. Yeah, or even if they even if they did, because I think a lot of times they do. You know, concert tickets are expensive. Yeah, like they just like they are at the mercy of their record label and uh, promoters, which are determining prices. And because they're such a hot commodity. You know, they can charge, these promoters are charging whatever they want. And it doesn't sound bad to you when you're getting the checks right. and getting the free, you know, like shit, you know. But at one point, Honda sponsors a tour and they all get their own custom made Hondas. You know, it's Jeez. like you get, you get, the, you get used to that kind of treatment. Right. Like you forget that you were a poor guy that grew up in a ghetto that where you had no opportunities at all and uh, you would be, lucky if any artist that you admired like uh gave you the time of day mm -hmm. um so 
this is a moment where like they kind of are able to look into the mirror a little bit. They feel a little bit dirty. They feel like some of their message has been lost. And so they did something that I consider pretty cool. They vowed that the next time they came back to South Africa, they were going to perform a free concert for the poorest kids in that country. And so they did that. In 2006, they came back to Johannesburg. They played for uh, like 40,000 underprivileged kids in uh, some big soccer stadium. And uh, later after the show, Will I Am even uh, went and started touring some of the shanty towns. And uh, he hung out with like these dirt poor kids who just <laughs> never in their life could they think they would meet a star as big as Will I Am. And he kind of gave them this inspiring speech sure. about how like, hey, I rose up from the depths of poverty and so can you. He talked about <laughs> my humps as an empowerment sign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, like, Someday you'll have enough money where you can put some meat on your bones. You'll have some humps of your own. <laughs> <laughs> all right that was mean <laughs> but it's cool he did that is the message it, it is pretty cool so that's where we're kind of leave it off for for today so I, again we're gonna keep asking this but at this point in uh in black eyed peas career you know given all the incentives that they've had to make the decisions that they've made do you consider them sellouts yet Oh God, yeah, hundred, <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's very debatable. What What was the tipping point for you? I'm curious. I don't even. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you first before I give my answer. What like, What was What was the moment that like, like this is the straw that broke the camel's back? Probably the Dr Pepper song. You think so? Repurposing weekends to be for Dr Pepper, I think, is the the first time you can point to it and say that is something a sellout would do. Hmm. I'm tempted to give them a pass on that moment because they were still struggling. They were still kind of poor for me. And I have no like real logical reason behind this. It's Garfield. (laughs) (laughs) If you were involved in any way with a movie like Garfield too, like whether you're, you've lost any street cred, you could have possibly, even if you're the fucking gaffer on that movie right you're a sellout i don't i don't i just thought something about it <laughs> and yeah and it's a, i don't care if you're like elton john yeah. and you give a song you know david bow if he was alive for it and gave a song he's now a sellout if he had yeah. done it fuck him like, exactly <laughs> all right well that does it for today's episode but make no mistake we are not even close to done with these guys this is a trilogy after all, and we have not even sniffed the gates of Mordor. In our next and final installment, the Black Eyed Peas will take their cringiness to impossible new heights, get up to some wild antics, and ultimately turn their career around in the most surprising way possible. So make sure you're subscribed and do not miss part three of the Black Eyed Peas. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you for sharing it on social media, talking about it to your friends, whatever you can do to spread the word about this lovely, lovely little project we have. Um, Cal, what are some other ways that people can uh, spread the word of polishing turds? I was I was thinking of cats for inspiration. 
you could smear uh, feces on a wall that yes. says, listen to polishing turds. Just go to like your local Hardee's. Yeah. Um, or what, does it have to be a cat? Can it, 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 can it be human feces? Yes, that, that's what I'm saying. Behave oh, okay. like a cat. Yes. And mark your territory with our logo and our name. And and do it on the outside, though. So you so, yes. you know, so it can be no. pressure washed. I don't want some poor guy to have to clean the bathroom. I've been that guy. Yeah, me too. No, that's a, that's a very uh, it's a very good idea. People want to remember that, you know. That's a memorable action. Might even go viral, hopefully. Yep. Um, I tell you one little thing I did recently. Um, I got invited by text to take part in a survey for the you know 2022 Wisconsin elections, and I, I went through the whole thing, said he was going to vote for and whatnot. By the end, uh, there was this little bit that said, "Is there anything else you'd like to tell us?" And I said. Listen to Polishing Turds on Spotify. That's a good one. Every customer satisfaction survey I get, that's what I'm going to put. Yeah. And most likely the uh, the guy at the other end of that is going to be like, what the fuck? But maybe, maybe you'll reach a new convert. You never know. All right. Uh, thanks again. And always, always, always do the next right thing. Alright, Fergie. Okay, after the hook, we need to finish it off with. Yeah, 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 wow, wow.